Welcome to the second episode in an old series of Your Time in the Run, the hunted podcast from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is my fellow Brit, who some have accused of being a hopeless man spying at a beautiful woman through binoculars, Anthony Williams. Yeah, but you can be the subject and not the victim. <laughs> that is true. That was a very long intro. I really should have read that in my head before I uh, wrote it. And the lady who, whenever she's away, rings home every day just to make sure her children are still in the oubliettes, Michelle Pierce Denovan. <laughs> Hello. So something I do have to pull us up on from episode one, we were discussing why Hunted was commissioned with the whole surveillance thing and stuff. It was the Investigatory Powers Act in That's November 2015 that passed. Um, during 2014, they were actually debating it. There was a um, study that was published in about the May of 2015 suggesting that these uh, these powers came into force. So it was a, a big discussion at the time. And actually, it's only just started getting enacted in 2020, I think, the first bits of it got enacted. But basically, it's all about um, ISPs having to keep your browsing history for a month and um, the security services, if you're a person of interest, um, being able to access that. Uh, yeah. That's the main the main crux of the, uh, the investigatory powers bill. And something else is the fact that the pre-titles clip actually changes each week, which I'd forgotten. That's something they never do in New Hunted. It's always the really? same one. Yeah, the um, the clip before the whole introduction to the surveillance yeah. stuff is actually different in every episode. Who has time for that? <laughs> like, seriously. Apparently they did. Um, it's a clip from the actual episode. So last week's one was uh, was Emily talking about how she feels like she's being hunted, and uh, and this week's one was one of the uh, one of the things um, doing a confessional mm. towards the end yeah. of the episode, which. It's a bit weird because you get his confessional before they've actually introduced you to them, which just feels a bit strange, really. But having said that, they do still do that in newer series. Yeah. It just is the same clip every single time. Mm. So previously, two pairs and one solo player set off to evade an HQ full of hunters for 28 days. Dr. Ricky Allen had a close shave on the M2, but managed to evade them before borrowing a car from a friend. Sandra and Elizabeth got buses all the way to Mansfield before Nick and Danny caught up with them and ended their time in the run on day four. Emily repeatedly called home to check on her 18-month-old son, much to the frustration of her friend Lauren, and helping HQ track them to a caravan park where they had a narrow escape and hitchhiked away in Yorkshire. And 12 fugitives are left. And Chief Brett calls people over from the other side of the shipping container to introduce them to brothers Harinda and Davinda. At the same time, they're told to go on the run in Leicester, and Harinda has to drive to his parents' house to pick up Davinda. How much did you remember about the Sings? Uh, not a lot. Only, the no. only thing I really remembered was them being holed up in that shop in Glasgow. That was pretty much it. Because mm. they are a one and done, like Sandra and Elizabeth were, but they have a bit more airtime than Sandra and Elizabeth do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly remember them being in it a lot more than Sandra and Elizabeth. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to name those two at all, uh, or even describe them, but I do, I do remember the lads. How many days did each of them... Each team last. I think it was nine. Uh, I think it might have been longer, actually. I think I made a note of that. I've got a feeling it might be 14. No, really? Ricky was the only one who got to 14 in this episode. Was it? Oh, no, Ricky was... Yeah, you're right. Ricky's 14. Because we, we, we heard it was... Well, it was over seven. 12, it was. It was 12, yeah. 12 days, yeah. It's in my notes. Yeah. And the girls? Uh, Sandra and Elizabeth. Yes. Four. See, that's why there's more stuff on them then on Harinda and Davinda. It is, but 
they still only last one episode. As I said to mm. you guys yesterday when I was mm. uh, when I was looking into this, the actual capture isn't very honest in this series in terms of the order in which teams got captured. They move oh, from this series onwards much towards it being a bit more chronological. So you can pretty much rely on more modern series actually airing that nobody got caught between days three and nine, so they actually have a non-elimination episode. In this series, someone gets caught in every episode or caught in inverted commas, but they don't show them in the right order. So the actual team that got caught second, I think, doesn't go until the fourth episode, if I remember rightly. Yeah, you're right. These guys are, I think, the second last team to get caught. Really? Yeah, there's a big old jump pretty much after one more team after them, I think. Okay. Obviously, in a few weeks, we'll, we'll know for certain on this, but I think I'm right on that. So Davinda says he's never been away from his loved ones before. He's not spent any time away from his mum. And it's their last adventure together before going their separate ways. He's about to get married and Harinda is already married. And they are meeting a friend at the Gudwara. Going their separate ways? Someone isn't dying. What is this about? <laughs> Seriously. They'll still see each other and presumably oh have adventures God. together. They might not be on the run for 28 days together again after this. But, but surely they're actually going to see each other. Exactly. You would think so. <laughs> and, and according to the latest information, I can get off the electoral roll at the last point that was taken. They were still living together anyway. But that could be 2015, to be fair. And it's been doing some creepy stalking. Oh, I've been mm-hmm. doing some uh, open source investigation this week. <laughs> yeah, you've been inspired by our good friend Jenny Radcliffe. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Weirdly, on the point of um, talking about Blex's backstory in the last episode, Jenny did a really interesting interview with Peter a few weeks ago. Because oh, Doug actually that. sent it me. It's a really? really good episode, yeah. Yeah, there's a very funny story in there about a broom, which I'm not going to spoil, but it is now hunted canon as a result of that interview. But it was really interesting. I think it was February it came out. Okay. Mm. That was certainly when Doug sent it me. But I I remember sending Doug a message just going, This makes me really miss both Blex and Jenny. Mm. I love them both. So Toddington says there are a lot of things in Leicester, unsurprisingly. And it's like searching for John Smith's. Brett tells him to drill down religion wise, as Leicester is a big Sikh area and people from the Sikh community could still be helping them. Which really isn't drilling down, is it, given that Singh is a Sikh surname? <laughs> like, you think you're going to find many Sings that aren't Sikhs? I don't think you're going to narrow it down any further, are you, really? It's a very much no-shit Sherlock moment, I think. <laughs> it's just really odd the way they go, like, there's loads of people called Singh in Leicester. Yeah, let's drill down on the religious thing. No, that's why they're called Singh. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> that's literally the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And one of them does say to us that if they can go on the run and just escape from the hunters, what hope do they have of catching actual criminals? (laughs) Which I think may have just been kind of deliberate. This is tying it to the documentary. Please give us more money for the documentary stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just drumming home that point of this is the reason this documentary has been commissioned. Yep. It's something that we are going to be looking for in the entire series, I think. is just the little hints that maybe this was commissioned as a documentary. Yeah, do you think do you think maybe that was like the only way they could get it commissioned? Do you think they were pitching it as a game show and they were like, nah, nah, and then, and then someone went, hold on a minute, different budget here. Let's put it on this cost centre instead. I wonder because, as we've said last week, the the historical actual aspect of this is the fact that this was commissioned very much 
as the powers were being debated for whether the police should get much more power in terms of the uh, the search history of suspects and that sort of stuff and the potential human rights abuses that could come from that because liberty did a um a lawsuit about it i think um there was a porn website apparently i was doing a bit quick wikipedia on this there's sure. a porn website sure. that's i know i was doing my research for the podcast <laughs> and the real hero <laughs> <laughs> there's a porn website apparently that redirected their homepage for users in the uk to the um to the petition against it, it got over a hundred thousand signatures not from that porn site necessarily but Wow! Apparently, there was a petition that got to a hundred thousand. Which, when it gets to a hundred thousand in the UK on the Parliament website, it then has to be debated in uh, in Parliament. Only a hundred thousand. Not much. Yeah, because most people don't care. Most people will not fill in a petition. Mm. So I think I think it's above ten thousand, and they consider it for debate. Over a hundred thousand, and the government gives an official response of some description. Wow. So, yeah, so you're right, it was commissioned just after that, but I bet it had been pitched before that. I bet it's been floating around as an idea and somebody's suddenly gone, hold on a minute, here's how we finally get this show commissioned. It would be very interesting if Kevin actually told us the answer to this, <laughs> as to whether it was floating around for a few years beforehand. I really wouldn't be surprised, but it's a very Channel 4 idea, I was thinking this earlier, it's a very Channel 4 idea to look at what's in the news and then commission something really kind of off the wall about it. Yeah, they do tend to try and take that alternative opinion to things, don't they? So, yeah, it makes perfect sense that it would be a Channel 4 show. But then, yeah, maybe they were told, if you want it to be commissioned anytime soon, it does kind of have to come under the documentary strand. So, yes, you can do it, and yes, it'll be interesting, but there's no prize money, and you still do have to put in the kind of more opinion piecey stuff Mm. in the episode. Yeah, okay. If we didn't know that this was commissioned as a documentary, I'm not sure we would guess it. It's purely because we do know it was commissioned as a documentary and we are 100% looking for the little kind of hints of it pushing the documentary stuff and opening the debate with people as to whether whether the police should have had all these powers in 2015. And I would imagine it influenced casting as well. That'll be where they got Ricky Allen from. Who's outspoken about this stuff? Let's see if we can get him in. Do you think Ricky was a recruit? Yeah, I think so. I don't know how they would have cast for it otherwise. Yeah. I mean, they, they could have just put something out once they got commissioned saying they were doing a documentary on surveillance powers and stuff. It could have been that way. But I would think it would be easier for them to find him. He doesn't strike me as somebody who would have been like, oh, I'm desperate to go on TV. I don't I don't think that would have been his thing. But You mean you like know? some people we know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like virtually everybody we know. I'm not desperate to go on TV. I'd be I'd be okay if Amazing Race actually didn't even do it on TV. Like I'd be okay to just do it. I don't care. I mean, it's all well and good as saying this, but we we all know as well as each other that we would if some if a good opportunity came up on a game show, we'd go yeah yeah go on then I'll apply. Definitely not me, <laughs> not me on a game show. You two, you're ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> Always. In the commission announcement, there was no mention of casting on no. the Channel 4 website. I've just had a quick look. I, I don't remember anything, but I, w- I probably wouldn't have been looking at the time. It was before I took an interest in it. But yeah, I'd, I just thought they'd gone out and spotted people that were outspoken about it. And, and at the time, Ricky Allen was kind of hitting the news a little bit, wasn't he? Yeah. My gut instinct on it would be there was maybe a few recruits. I'm pretty sure Ricky would have been recruited because, as you said, he was in the news. I think they maybe opened up 
public casting just didn't really reveal much about the show. Mm. Because there's a lot of more normal people in this than than you'd think for a show that would have been entirely recruits. But it's not really a documentary style show. No, that's that's why I think they they've crowbarred it in under a different budget. I'm just, I'm sure that's what happened. I mean, there's a very good reason that after they kind of drop the documentary aspects, you don't see any confessionals from the Ground Hunters, for example. Yeah. Or you don't see Sherlock talking about racial bias, as we get fairly soon. Yeah. No, it suddenly becomes, this is a game. <laughs> very, very quickly. It, mm. it does feel like somebody at the end of Series 1 went, told you it would work, right, now let's commission this as a game show like it should be. Well, the best thing is I actually remembered this at the time with everyone on social media going, what? Are they not playing for any prize whatsoever? They're just doing this for pride after episode one aired and, uh, and Emily said to the to the driver who gives them the getaway that, that they're just doing it for fun. Everyone on social media was going, what? They're not actually getting any reward out of this? Because hmm. it's, it's rare, even with something like this that is commissioned as a documentary, they do usually get some sort of reward out of it, I, th- I think. Yeah. yeah. Having said that, though, because there's no prize money, they could well have been paid um, as contributors. So they may have got a, a, an appearance fee rather than a prize. Yeah, perhaps. But it, it's very interesting that as soon as that changes, you just immediately get a tonal change and go, right, we're not going to have any of the hunters do a confessional in, in HQ apart from when they're working. You're not going to get any of the actual other considerations that police have to make at the time, it's going to be, let's just do what we can to annoy them. (laughs) So by this point, they also seem to have home addresses for the things, or at least partial postcodes, as Black stands by a whiteboard, even though we're pretty much told straight before this that they have no information on them whatsoever. (laughs) No information (laughs) other than they live in LE4. (laughs) Well, no, they didn't even have that, I don't think. I think they just had literally their names in Leicester by this point. Yeah, you're right. They very quickly pin it down, don't they? Yeah, they very quickly go LE4, LE3. After last week's debacle, I am keeping an eye on things this time. Oh, there's some lovely little gems on the whiteboards this week. Oh, there's some lovely little gems on their computers as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick and Danny, obviously, are sent to Leicester to search the family home, and they say that they've got beards, they're running with backpacks, the automatic response is to think that they're terrorists, and they want to do the show to change that perception. I don't think it will ever be changed. It wouldn't ever be changed. That's the problem. It's just set. It's so set now. It is. It's really interesting watching this six years later and going, well, America's had a real problem with Asian-American bias in the past couple of months. There's a lot of otherism in the world at the moment, and I don't think it's changed since 2015 that much, sadly. No. It's not got better, that's for sure. No. So Nick and Danny are sent to talk to Charmaine, Herinda's wife. She's very unenthusiastic at opening the door to them. They told her absolutely nothing before they went on the run. They also take Herinda's phone. He didn't clear it beforehand, and they find a gold mine of an email exchange pointing them to Caster on C. However, someone asked, "Do you do you know his passcode?" And she said, "Yes." Like what? 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 Why do you say yes? Because they're not, they're not allowed to lie. We know this. They never actually lie. (laughs) Then don't say anything. Just look at them. Yeah, the rules for series one are um, are quite interesting because most people are really not prepared for 
what the hunters are going to do. We do see that with Herinder and Davinda a lot in this episode. Of yeah. them just really not being prepared to to do what it takes, I think, to properly become fugitives. Mm. Yeah, well, they, they've not had other series to look at, have they? So. No. No, I mean, it's not a criticism. Uh, I, I do love the fact that this is so early in Hunted history that it's still Nicola, not Nikki, at this stage. Well, she does call herself Nick at one point in this episode. Yes. Yeah. And, and then they get referred to as uh, Thorn and Brook. It sounds like a solicitor's firm. I really like that. <laughs> yes. I just um, I just went, hang on, they just called them Nick and Danny, and now they're Thorn and Brook. And I'm like, who the hell's Thorn? Oh, it's her. Okay. <laughs> Even five series into doing this, I still had to correct myself when I called them Nicky and Danny last week. It was Nick and Danny. I did say it again afterwards. It's all fine. But yeah, it's always Nick and Danny. It's it's never been anything else for me, at least. Hmm. We get another example of this this later, because um, when we get back to talking about Ricky, Nathan's sent out to investigate with Steve, and Steve is called Cotter Minute, which is his surname, and he's never been called that for the rest of the five series. It's always been Steve. Yeah, it's like they're finding their way, aren't they? It's like, should we refer to them by their surnames? Because they're like officers. And then they must have thought, oh, bugger it. Let's just call them their first names. <laughs> I must admit, it's one of my pet hates in books because as a side effect of the lockdown, I've been doing a hell of a lot more reading and reading a lot of crime fiction. And the amount of authors who swap between first names and surnames constantly and you having to flick back through pages going, who's this? It's a real bugbear <laughs> of mine. There's just no consistency on it. <laughs> but yeah, it would be fairly understandable if, say, they were still police detectives and they said DCI Cotton or whatever. Yeah, But they don't because they're all, I think, technically civilians by this point. So they should just say Steve, even though I think there are three Steves on the hunting side. There's, yeah, there's a few. <laughs> just to make it more confusing. So Nathan Rose, another new person who I can't find any social media trace for whatsoever, is sent to Caster to investigate. Paul in HQ is suspicious that it might just be a trap. He asks around, and one of the locals says that they look like they're from ISIS, and someone wants to behead them before they behead anyone else. And I am shocked that this aired in 2015, I'll be honest. Without any kind of... Context. Context, yeah. It's just like, random racist in a pub. It's like, we'll just put that in there, and we won't we won't frame it, we won't... We, I, I was kind of like, I was taken aback when it happened and I thought, yeah, Nathan will say something here that will make it okay. And they just leave it. It's just like, whoa. I mean, it's sort of the response to to their introduction of saying, we're worried that we're Asian lads with beards and we're going to get stereotypes here. But I was genuinely in two minds when I was watching this episode and do my notes as to whether to read out that quote, because it's the most shocking thing I think that has been said on Hunted ever. Hmm. And unsurprisingly, they don't show that man's face. And it's actually genuinely uncomfortable, even even at the time it was genuinely uncomfortable for that to be said. It's even more uncomfortable for that to be said in 2021. And you know how they keep calling them Asian? Here in Australia, they wouldn't be called Asian at all, ever, because here there's just so many Asians that you wouldn't call them Asian, you would call them Sikh or um, yeah. Middle East appearance or something like that. Um, so every time they said Asian, I was finding it really hard to, like, okay, stop, because they're not really Asian, even though I know they're from the region, but they're not, in Australian terms, they're not Asian. 
Yeah, it, it, it's a term used over here. Age, Asian usually means Indian subcontinent over here. Uh, as opposed to Southeast Asia. We, we, yeah. we wouldn't, in fact, you would almost never refer to anyone Chinese as Asian. You'd be like, oh, they're not Asian, they're Chinese. And I know, that's weird. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the UK is the only part of the world that uses Asian to mean Indian subcontinent rather than Southeast Asian. Mm, interesting. Mainly because outside of the big cities, you would see far more Asians as in Indian subcontinent rather than Chinese or Vietnamese or Japanese or whatever. Okay. Thanks for the lesson. <laughs> in Manchester, for example, Manchester has one of the world's largest Chinatowns, mainly people from Hong Kong. There's a massive kind of affinity between Manchester and Hong Kong. So you would oh. see loads of people from China in sort of the center of Manchester because that's where Chinatown is and in the surrounding areas of Greater Manchester, but you would probably not see them in in the more rural areas. Interesting. And I'm actually proud that we did that uh, that segment with such a nuance because genuinely I was very uncomfortable watching that scene and nobody stepping up and going, yeah, we shouldn't include that in the episode. Yeah, it, it yeah, it did feel it felt wrong that it wasn't contradicted in any way at all. Yeah. I think they used it to I'm not necessarily criticizing the editors for leaving it in because they used it as a counterpoint to to what they were saying in the intro. Yeah, it's just yeah. not a comfortable thing to see on television. <laughs> so Nathan's team splits up. Steve and Elle in the backup vehicle see two Asian males with backpacks. Brett says they have to be really, really certain that they're right, and they have to be careful with positive identification, as it can be seen as racial profiling. And I think they actually did handle that beautifully, putting that scene straight after the racist fuck in the pub. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a subtle nod, isn't it? Of yeah, let's be careful here. We don't want to be accused of stereotyping and profiling, which is exactly what the bloke's just done. Yeah, it's yeah. a very clever way to to neutralise that guy's point. I'm still not necessarily comfortable with it being in the episode, but it's at least a good way to kind of counteract it a little bit. Um, let's just also say that isn't it good that the lads sent them on a wild goose chase? Oh, yes. of... so good. So good. Doing real information. <laughs> this is a very good episode for sending hunters on a wild goose chase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because we get the pinnacle of maybe the entire series with Ricky doing it with the Bothy. I love the Bothy scene. <laughs> but yeah, it is a negative. The guys have basically led them to Caister, and they are 200 miles away in Manchester. <laughs> and interestingly, to use Ant's favourite phrase, they monkey with the timeline a little bit here, because there is a scene of Sherlock with a few days' growth here, when actually it's meant to be day one, and he's clean-shaven when uh, Harinder and Davinder are actually introduced. Mm. We can let them have the odd bit of continuity, given they have to wear the same clothes for a month. <laughs> <laughs> we can but i think with the continuity they do usually say if you're clean shaven keep clean shaven they do normally yes he's had a hard night he went out the night before maybe they just didn't have the uh the shaving facilities in the converted shipping container that they seem to be calling <laughs> hq this time <laughs> there was no running water they weren't allowed to leave <laughs> They were just on the side of Tilbury Docks, just no running water, no showering facilities, no shaving, nothing. And they're only allowed out mm -hmm. once a week. You're not getting out till you've caught them. 
So Emily and Lauren's trail has gone cold, they are still in Cumbria, and they've stopped using phones and cards because they've learnt their lesson a bit. Thank Christ. I think that's our only Emily and Lauren scene of the episode, actually. It is. They are very conspicuous by their absence. I mean, it ramps up again next episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We get one of my favourite bits of Emily and Lauren next week. (laughs) It's the most random thing ever. (laughs) I can't remember, so it's okay. I'll wait. So HQ decides to instead focus on Ricky, who left six days ago. He's literally on Ben Nevis. We get coordinates for it. And a correction from last week, which is a little bit of an interesting one because it is directly contradicted between episode one and the previously on segment here. They say that he was last seen on the M2, but the voiceover says A2 in this episode. It was M2 last episode, A2 this episode. How far away are they from each other? Uh, they run parallel to each other, as far as I remember. Oh, okay. Yeah, I looked this up earlier. Uh, the M2 does become the A2M, mm. but okay. they are two different roads, technically. So it's interesting that that contiguity error was not picked up on. Ricky says he's a rebel at heart. His uncle was a bank robber. Julie, trawling his social media, finds strong connections to Scotland. Blex gets an ATM hit in Glasgow. It is his friend's wife, Eileen. And of course, given that there are no other hunters around, Nick and Danny are sent to investigate. I love it. I love Eileen. It's like, has he asked you to help? No, no. Mm, We've got footage of you at the ATM. Damn it. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) But she doesn't give anything away. She's brilliant. This is what I mean. On any other series, I think the people who are helping them would have been told, please just don't give anything away. Don't give any tells when they say we've got your information on the ATM camera don't give anything away and yet they still do (laughs) from a production standpoint I don't know how that was filmed why? because traditionally they set up a GoPro or whatever on the ATM to mimic the CCTV camera Mm -hmm. and then they just put filters on it or whatever but they can't have done that unless they sent out a separate cameraman to do the CCTV run with her Yeah, they could well have done that. Mm. That's the only way I can think of them doing it. Because they obviously don't actually have cameras in the ATMs that the hunters in HQ can access. They do have cameras in ATMs, just not the ones that hunters are able to get. So they would have had to send a GoPro out with her and film the ATM shot and then get that sent to Gold Command and only released as necessary. Mm. I suspect they did that when they went to interview her and just took her back to the ATM to get that shot. Yeah, maybe. I also don't know how they... Would they necessarily have known what ATM it was from the bank statements? No, not from bank statements. I don't know. Because they would have had to know what ATM it was as well. She's a known associate, isn't she? So so there'll be some gold command on her anyway. Yeah. So it could well be that there's a researcher or some someone that... We don't know what happens behind the scenes. It could well be. I mean, this is in series one as well. It could well be that any known associates are told, right, if you if someone gets in touch with you, you have to let us know that they've been in touch so we can get the footage. Could be anything like that, couldn't it? Mm. Yeah, that would make sense because the cameraman on site with the fugitives acts as a conduit to Gold Command anyway. So assuming the cameraman then tips off Kevin to say, this is a known associate that ricky has been in contact with then kevin rings her up and goes just so you know you are on our radar now under the rules that you as a known associate have to adhere by this is actually what you're gonna have to do yeah 
it'd been arranged, won't it? So they can get it. Yeah. I mean, we're going into the minutiae. I know people enjoy that, but we are going into the minutiae a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> so Eileen lies to them and says Ricky hasn't been in touch. She's not very helpful, even when confronted with the sighting. Nick hides a camera, and we even see a confessional from Nick and Danny about how useful hidden cameras are. This is a bit odd, though, right? Because she seems to be in the house on her own. So they walk out, and immediately she starts talking out loud to herself. It seems a bit weird. <laughs> I'm assuming she was on the phone, because we see Ricky yeah, on the speed bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it may very well have been, at the same time, the Ricky call and, and that sort of stuff, and they just slightly monkeyed with the timeline to, to show them separately. And by a happy coincidence, she makes the phone call within the earshot of the camera. <laughs> Isn't that convenient? <laughs> she must have called someone, anyway. Yeah, I guess so. Either that or she is going insane. <laughs> so they retrieve the camera after an hour. Eileen does say that the receipt in her purse was the one where the card was sent to, which gives the hunters a bit of a lead to Fort William. Also, thinking about it, they had to be on two separate days because she posted it and then we're led to believe on the same day Ricky received it in the digger. Yeah, mm-hmm. although how, how can she post it? You can't post something to... You know, the digger. address can't, you just can't be digger by side of road. No. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't post it. She put it in there. She put it in there. It's a drop, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, she specifically mentioned a receipt. The location on the receipt was where, she, where it was posted to, was the quote. You can't post to a random So she's vehicle. posted it some, to someone who's then taken it to the digger. Yeah, she posted it to another person who's then taken it to the digger and, and gone off. And then Ricky's probably rung that person to say, is it in the dead drop? Yeah, yeah, that would make it's sense. weirdly classic spy tactics, that. It's the kind of thing you'd read in a spy novel, that is, isn't it? Dead letter drop. I think that this was ruled out after series one as well. I don't think they're allowed to post cards anymore. Well, they're definitely not allowed to post cards anymore. I don't think after Series 1 they were. I recall us talking about it and saying, why didn't they do that? And us going on a big conversation about it must be banned because it's so obvious. Yeah, because we had Lolly with the letters, but I don't think they're allowed to post their cards with the people now. No, I think you're right. I think they, they have to withdraw the money themselves now, don't they? But But importantly... At 21 minutes, we get our first official appearance of a come on. (laughs) No, it was only it was only a little one. She's working up to it. It wasn't a proper one. It's like she's rehearsing. Come on, (laughs) come on. I know. I wrote it down too. (laughs) Thinking about it from Ricky's point of view, though, why would you get someone so close by? to do the cash withdrawal for you. You'd get someone on the other side of the country, surely. If, if they're going to post it, yeah. It doesn't It doesn't make a lot of sense, really. The only logic I can think of is maybe he's met up with Eileen and her husband, given her the card then, and said, can you withdraw some money? But for the price of a first-class stamp, I would probably say post it to someone else and then get them to post it back to Fort William. It's a bit too easy. So Ricky is on the Speen Bridge near Fort William and calls Eileen on an unregistered phone for information. They are monitoring Eileen's phone and find the link. We get our lesson on cell site data, and Nick and Danny are only eight miles away. And Ricky manages to escape their clutches just and recover the card and money from a yellow digger by the side of the road. Harinda and Davinda are on day two in Manchester. Their tactic is to hide in plain sight, meeting a friend at Warehouse 6 of the Museum of Science and Industry, which I know well. 
Yeah, I know it reasonably well as well. It is also the site of the Manchester version of the Crystal Mace. Mm. Where you see the cafe in uh, in this scene. If you just go to the right-hand side of that uh, of that cafe, you will indeed find the Manchester Crystal Maze, which I've been to. In case you don't know, me and Michelle went to the London one last January. Woohoo! They also walked past the Opera House, which was the last night I, out I had before lockdown. They do indeed. Mm. What was on at the time? I was trying to work it out. Uh, Did you spot it? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't spot what was on at that point. The thing I went to see was Back to the Future, the musical. Oh, did you see it before it uh, before it closed down? I did. It was excellent. It was really good. The musical. Yeah, really? they did. They did Back to the Future, the musical, which oh premiered in Manchester. That's so bizarre. And it's great. I was going to say it's supposed to actually be surprisingly good, like better than you would expect. Way better. Way way better. Very good. Last thing I saw her out was uh, was also in Manchester, but it was at the Palace. It was uh, Book of Mormon, I think, two years ago, which was also very good and very cheap. Um, I can't believe it. No, someone rang. Have you, are you up to that? Someone rang his girlfriend again. Was it Davinda? Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're about to get to that. These people, they just have to actually get the phones ripped off them. They cannot actually travel with a phone. It's hopeless. So as we know, they have Davinda's phone and find a pattern in terms of the contacts. In turn, Simon explains how you match up people in the call web and stuff. And they're monitoring his girlfriend's phone to try and find burner phones. We then immediately cut to him ringing her near the Opera House on day three. And he rings again 15 minutes later after they've already been walking, which gives HQ a direction of travel, something not mentioned in the episode. It's just stupid. It's just so bad. It's it's not a burner phone if you don't burn it. It's just a phone. And they are annoyed that the hunters have gone into their homes, like they didn't expect it to happen. I know. What did they expect was going to happen? It could be worse. They could have had a shadow team sent in like Emily did. (laughs) For no reason whatsoever. (laughs) The least subtle shadow team ever. (laughs) So Ricky's now on day nine and spooked. Nathan is sent to search his home. His wife was uncooperative last time they spoke with her. And he takes Agent Cotton with him. And she says he's (laughs) a guy who likes winding people up. Sherlock says he's doing a good job. And he's got (laughs) spy literature in his house, including Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And meanwhile, in the shot of Brett in HQ, we get a lovely picture of the whiteboard telling us that there's a fugitive called Adam Young, who was born in 1989, comes from Bridgend, and there's some link to a Peugeot 207. God. Yeah, we'll meet him eventually. <laughs> eventually, we'll meet him. <laughs> He'll probably be Welsh. <laughs> so Ricky's been sleeping rough for two nights in a farm near Fort William. His poor, poor cameraman. He must be knackered. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, it's probably a result of him being on his own, but it it strikes me he's got far more of a relationship with his camera person than you generally get. Because if you notice the amount of times he refers to them as we and not I, he's like, we've we've caught them out here, we've Mm. we've done really well. I think he must have got on really well with his camera operator. In the Bothy scene as well, we actually hear him calling by name. Yeah, I've forgotten what it is, but yeah. I think As have I. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but if you think about it, all the teams have been doubles and he's the only single one. He's got to talk to somebody. For now, there is another solo who gets introduced. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think or I don't recall there being a solo fugitive that has that kind of... Rapport. The rapport, that's the word. Yeah, um, it's, it's just quite interesting, especially the mm. way how often he talks about we're on the run, effectively. Yeah. Could it be a side effect to the documentary thing again? 
the fact that they are acknowledging the cameramen a lot more because we see a lot more of the cameramen in this series we do we we see them in cctv and all sorts don't we yeah because we get them in the cctv in the uh, in the capture scene at the end of the episode we see them at the bothy we obviously hear ricky call his cameraman by name i think we see his cameraman a couple of times when he's driving and things as well and ricky says he's starting to miss his family now it is ricky's daughter's birthday and he rings her from a phone box hq find out about this and are awaiting cctv and interestingly I don't know whether you spotted this because it was a split-second thing. We see him pick a camera up from the phone box as he leaves. Oh. I didn't notice that. <laughs> if you look at the phone box scene again, you'll see just a split second of him pick something up and uh, and walk off. And it's the camera, I think. I love how he uses the correct terms, like, this phone box is hot now. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's he's been reading a lot of spy novels, and you can tell. He is. He is totally in the, the spy mode, isn't he? He's brilliant. If he was about 10 years earlier, he would have been on the BBC Three show Spy, which is one of my white whales. I love that show. I've I've lost my copy of it now. I really want to find it again. Do you remember that one? No, I don't remember that at all. It was another show like Series 1 of Hunted where there was absolutely no prize from it. It was five ordinary men, five ordinary women being taught to be espionage officers, basically, with absolutely no reward for it. And it is one of the best shows I've ever seen in that genre. It was so, so good. And I just cannot find a copy of it. Mm. It's really annoying. And I saw it years ago. It'll be potato quality anyway, because it was about 2004, I think. Did you say potato quality? <laughs> yes. Have you never heard that term before? Potato no. quality. It's like, it's like it was recorded yeah. on a potato. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies for the quality of this. It looks like it was recorded on a potato. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've just Googled it. It started in 2008 on YouTube where people would say videos with poor image quality look like they were recorded with a potato. Oh, my God. <laughs> because you can genuinely use a potato as a battery. <laughs> That's true. So the Sings are now in Leeds. It looks like they went from Carnarvon, and we didn't see it. They're now in a coach travelling north. Davinda uses the same phone as before to call a friend in Glasgow. Harinda makes a friend on the bus with a Scottish man named Charles. And he says, since 9-11... It is a guarantee that he will get searched at the airport, which isn't right. Mm. Yeah, accurate though. Yeah, I have a feeling that they may have not been recruited, but that they put on the application that they have all these experiences with Mm. racial profiling, Mm. and the producers went, that is a really interesting story, we would Mm. love that idea. Yeah, Yeah. Because it's pretty much their entire storyline is, we get racially profiled and we shouldn't. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's a very interesting aspect, especially if you're looking at this as analysing the debate over over the security powers, which is essentially the purpose of the first series. Then it's really interesting to add in the information on racial profiling and it and the fact that it may not be something that people have considered when it comes to the powers of the state. That there are some some negative side effects with people potentially being racially profiled and stuff. Yeah, it's an interesting angle. So when they get to Glasgow Station, they use the same phone again for the oh, third for time. Sake. But there is a good punchline to this because their friend introduces them to Robert, <laughs> who has surveillance experience, and his first advice is to not call home. They ask him, quite innocently, whether a burner phone's okay, to which his reply is, which part of no do you not understand? <laughs> and I actually put in my notes, Robert is a top guy. Michelle loves oh, Robert. Oh, I do. Oh my god, he's so good. Oh, like he needs to be. He needed to be on the other season somehow. 
<laughs> the only thing of this episode that I sent in our group chat for the um, for the Hunted podcast was just the screenshot of Robert staring at the camera with the <laughs> caption, Michelle, every time someone rings home. Yes. Oh, God. And of course, yet again, HQ find out about their burner phone usage, and Nick and Danny are sent to investigate because no one else is actually doing anything hunter-wise. No, what are the others doing? Is there anyone else employed? They've all got a day off. <laughs> I think there are only two scenes in this entire episode with ground hunters that are not Nick and Danny. <laughs> There's not a lot. There's a bit with Mark later on, isn't there? Yeah, Mark's got stuff. Out of about 50 minutes of this episode, it's two or three scenes with ground hunters that do not involve Nick and Danny in some capacity. Yeah, it is the Nick (laughs) and Danny show this week. It's at this point you wonder why we loved Nick and Danny so much at the time, and it's the fact that we see none of the other hunters. We cannot form a rapport with any of the other hunters when Nick and Danny are so good at their jobs and so successful. So HQ have hunted Ricky for 14 days now and believe correctly that he is in the Scottish Highlands. He uses an ATM, Mark is eight minutes away, and we do get a bit of wheel spin in the BMW. It's a positive sighting on Ricky, the first one in 14 days. Discounting, of course, him ringing in a phone booth. However, Ricky is doing it deliberately to lay a trap. He's leading them to a bothy in the Highlands while he watches from a nearby hillside. To lay the trap, he sends a text to a friend's phone, assuming correctly that it is being monitored. And his cameraman asks if he thinks that he's smarter than the hunters. He says, on the evidence so far, yes. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, bothy, that's a new word. I haven't heard of that word before. That word will come in useful one day. And today is that day. I've literally never used that since. <laughs> Please explain, what, how do you spell it, first of all? B-O-T-H-Y. And why? Why? What, what it, where did the word come from? It's probably Gaelic, because it's probably. a very Scottish thing. Is it just a hut? Why don't they call it a hut? Like a shepherd's hut, basically. A farmer's hut in in the hills. But I actually heard about a Bothy a few days ago, and it made me think of Dr. Ricky Allen, and then I'm going, actually, we're talking about the Bothy episode soon, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we are. (laughs) Because I remember, it's basically the highlight of episode two is the Bothy scene. Yeah, and I've literally never used the word in any other context other than talking about Ricky Allen. Weird. And Ricky says to the camera that surveillance is rather like being a hopeless man spying at a beautiful woman through binoculars. She knows he's watching, but who's in control? Just because you're the subject does not mean you have to be the victim. Which comes across as a bit creepy, right? (laughs) I don't Hmm. don't know if I like that. Yeah, something tells me that Ricky might be speaking from personal experience here. And how does the woman know she's being watched? It's not good. It's (laughs) not (laughs) It's not, it's not right. It's not right. It's not right. <laughs> if you cast your mind back to last week, we had the scene of Ricky's Google search being revealed. Now we have this scene. They're not making Ricky out to be um, to be anything other than a bit of a creep. Let's be yeah. honest. It's as odd. much as I like Ricky, he's coming across as being a bit of a creep with this uh, confessional. Now, um, seeing as though you fat checked me last week, <laughs> go on. What day was day fourteen? Seventeenth uh, of May. It was a Sunday, as I recall. It was, which is really weird that timeline-wise, because I think in the calling home scene, Ricky said that that was a Sunday. But the implication is that that was day nine. So both of these cannot be right. This is true. Yeah, he definitely talked about Sunday being the night that they sit and watch TV. Yeah, we know it, we know it was the 17th of May because of the emails that 
that represent the SMS, which is really cool. There is no way we would have noticed that on the first watch because it wouldn't have had any relevance. But now I'm like, oh my God, that's a gold command email. Wow. <laughs> We've wondered for years how they actually do all that information. And I think we kind of got the answer with, yet again, thanks to our friends over at Outlook, who we mocked mercilessly last week. Because as as Ant says, we did see an email chain that they blurred out the details of that one, but then didn't blur out the ones below it. Both of which actually said Sunday the 17th of May at about one o'clock. Yeah, and this is actually an email from info requests to the hunters. So, and and you can, you can see a little bit of the... Um, the email chain below, where it's all a chain on um, where where's the phone, basically, which is really cool because it, it, it tells them where the nearest cell tower is. And then the next bit of the chain is, and here's a text message that that phone sent. But I got very mm. excited. Very excited. <laughs> so did I. I. I rewound it to make sure I got all the information off it. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, you know, it comes from info request. It's sent to LG Hunter, and it, and it copies in Hunter HQ. It's like, yay! Ooh, this is so exciting. <laughs> oh my god, you do. LG Hunter, I'm assuming, is a local ground hunter. I presume so, yeah. So, so presumably that went to Mark and then also to, uh, I think it was intern Simon reading it out. No, it wasn't. It was someone else, wasn't it? Julie says that Ricky is a bit of an anarchist at heart. He likes to be disruptive and it would be a victory to catch him. The ground hunters have to walk to the bothy. There is going to be radio silence for between 90 and 120 minutes. Black says if it's a deception, it's a genius move, but Dr. Ricky Allen is not a genius. <laughs> well then, you think? Really? And then two hunters, Mark and new hunter who we never see again, Steve Hanton, approach <laughs> while Ricky is watching from the tree line. They enter the bothy and it's completely empty. Ricky actually has to tell his cameraman to be silent. Mark tries to call him for help, but there is no phone signal. And I did a bit of Googling on Steve Hanson, unsurprisingly. Uh, he's a bushcraft expert. Uh, yeah, he did look kind of like local guide kind of person. Yeah, I don't think they use him. Well, they they 100% don't use him for any of the series. No, I, I think he's probably based in that area. And they wanted some help of, you know, how to do a bit of tracking and how probably even how to get to the bossy safely. Yeah, but he is, by the look of things, a bushcraft expert who... Um, teaches people how to set fire to things amongst other things um can i also say that flex's reaction to all of that is what got him the top job in the next series i think one of many reasons <laughs> no i just saw that and i thought someone's thought well this is gold he's got to be the top person <laughs> he's not the slack brained fuckwit he's pretending to be at this scene is he <laughs> he's oh God, working no. on his career <laughs> He's making moves just in case the uh, the chief moves on. Hmm. So Blex says he clearly thinks that they're a group of slapbone fuckwits, and he might be proven right. He's already thinking what he can do to them next. And then HQ, for the final bit of the episode, moved back to the Sings. The Sings have gone quiet for a few days. Whenever Blex goes away, he says he calls home every day as he wants to speak to his wife and children. They're on day 12 and have been in Glasgow for four days. And they decide to move on, and despite being warned, Harinda risks calling his wife again. God, I wrote. You know what I wrote? I wrote, "What's wrong with him?" <laughs> That's what I wrote down. For all the jokes that I make, if you were on the run for twelve days at this point, you wouldn't have called home, would you? No, 
No. You would have trusted Tom to look after the girls and make sure they've got all the local pets in the Ubliat and all that sort of stuff. Oh, no, I wouldn't have trusted, but it just it just would have been like that. <laughs> there would have been no trust. You just have to take a leap of faith. It's fine. <laughs> oh, there's there's no faith either. But, you know, my sister's close. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming Tom knows this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one-off hunter, Karen Hunt, appropriate name, is sent to investigate alongside Mark again. And they found a friend to take into a shop while they make their next move. Of course, HQ are tracing the phone, and Doug finds out that he has a license to sell alcohol at a shop in Acre Road, which is a shop where they're hiding. Karen gets out to do the least subtle bit of surveillance ever. The brothers are watching the cameras in the back room and see her speak to Fargi about a block of flats nearby. They ask if she's English, and he says, I, she's full of shit. <laughs> I wonder why he thinks that, though. I mean, she's a random woman. She must have said something so stupid, more stupid than that. I think even the most subtle of surveillance operatives, unless they are like, James Bond level. You do have enough tells to go, this person's staring at the shop a little bit too much. Yeah. They're in a heightened state of suspicion anyway. And also, I hate to pull this card, but the camera crew? <laughs> no, but they were in a bush. They weren't with her. <laughs> You're sounding like someone on Twitter here, Ab. <laughs> yeah, but this is series one, right? They weren't exactly subtle about stuff, so... There's a good chance that he knows damn well who she is. Next, you're going to be looking at the chase hashtag and calling someone a lumberjack shirt wanker. (laughs) Or a waistcoat wanker. (sighs) Also, I'm pretty sure, although I cannot find her on Google, that Karen is not English and was probably very insulted when that was airing because she sounded like she was Welsh to me. Uh, I didn't pay enough notice, but you could be right. I did rewind it a couple of times to make sure I was right, and I'm pretty sure she was Welsh. (laughs) Having said that, there is a crime author called Karen Hunt who is making it very difficult for me to Google her. Hmm. HQ get the CCTV of the outside of the shop and they see that the brothers went in at 1pm and haven't come out. Mark and Karen then investigate and Fargi holds the door closed so they can't come in. That'll put them off. That's going to (laughs) work. They're definitely not here, so I'm just going to not let you in the shop, okay? You're just going to have to take my word for it, guys. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing about this is I'm assuming that Production eventually had to say to him, yeah, as an associate, you are going to have to not get in the hunter's way here. Because we see him say, oh, you're not coming in. And then it immediately cuts to them being in the shop anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was a swift, listen, mate, we're coming in. All right. (laughs) We're coming in regardless. But in return, we'll do a nice exterior shot of your shop and you can get all the free publicity out of it. How's that? It's the one thing they don't blur in terms of personal information. I know. <laughs> so they enter the shop eventually and refuse to open the door. Mark threatens to break it open. Their time in the run is over, but it is yet again another aggressive ending. I'd forgotten how yeah. personally people take the captures on this series of hunting. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I love the fact that he tries to <laughs> he tries to run away. It's like, yeah, that's really going to work. <laughs> that's really going to work against someone who is a professional at this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's why they introduced the your time in the run is over, you've been hunted down ending? Maybe. It makes them Maybe. stop. Like you, yeah. you hear this, you're gone. Because we know from later series that as soon as someone puts a hand on your shoulder and says your time in the run's over, you've been hunted down, that is the end of their time in the run, regardless of whether they then break out from, from Mark's grasp and 
leg it down the street until he handcuffs you. I have a suspicion, given that we've seen two captures now and both of them haven't ended with your time in the run is over, you've been hunted down. I have a feeling that they maybe introduced that as part of the changing it to a bit of a game show next series to give them an mm. official ending, basically. So next time, HQ put a reward on Ricky's head, Lauren becomes a clown, and Brett begins to worry about the girl's mental state. Well, given what we know happens next week, he's right. <laughs> Emily's mental state isn't great anyway on the run. I think it's very interesting that in both of the next time trailers, they haven't focused on anyone apart from Ricky and Emily and Lauren. Mm. We didn't even get that much of a hint from the next time trailer last week that the Sings are going to be introduced here. There is someone, I think it's two new people introduced in the next episode. I can't remember whether it's one or two, but I think it's two introduced in the next episode and we see absolutely nothing of them in this next time trailer and that's something that i would say has improved a little bit between series because mm. yes maybe we get a little bit of spoilers given who who we know is in the next episode and who we know is potentially vulnerable but we also begin especially with new people being introduced we begin to get a bit of a sense of what those people are going to be like on the run mm. Yeah, there's, there's very little kind of coming up sort of stuff, really. Yeah, it's very interesting knowing what goes on the next episode to say, yeah, we're going to focus on Ricky and Emily and Lauren in the next time trailer again. Hmm. I mean, to be fair, though, they are the story of the series, aren't they? They are the story of the series, but it's just very surprising they don't even show as an introduction to the new pair or person. Hmm. Yeah. They don't even show Brett coming up to the whiteboard and going, here's a new fugitive, here's two new fugitives or whatever. It's all very strange. It's like watching the first series of anything, like Amazing Race or Survivor. It's all just, oh, it's just a little bit different. Yeah, you can see that, can't you? Yeah. You can kind of see the wheels turn and them going, we've got a really good show here, we just need to maybe tighten it up a little bit. So have you guys got anything else you want to say about episode two? No, I had forgotten how much fun the episode was. Um, it was very good again. Yeah, I remembered this episode as being the bothy episode. I couldn't remember anything else about it apart from the Sings getting caught. I think it's a better episode than the premiere, I'll be honest. Uh, uh, you know, I think you might be right. Mm. It is a really strong episode. The only other thing I wanted to mention is for some random reason, I watched all the end credits and I noticed right at the very end that it, at that stage, it was still a Shine production and not an Endemol Shine production. Yes, and I was like, "Oh, I wonder, I wonder when Endemol bought Shine." So I started looking at that and found out that Endemol Shine have been bought last year in 2020. And do we know who's oh. bought Endemol Shine? Is it Banny J? No. It is Banny J. Yeah, who who own the right to, to Survivor? Freaking everything. Hmm. <laughs> they are the ones who were shopping around the um, the Survivor rights in the past couple of years in the UK. They've got Survivor, they've got Big Brother, they've got Who Dares Wins, The Island, Shipwrecked, uh, The Bridge, loads. Would that only be Endemol Shine in England, though? It wouldn't be worldwide. Uh, they have renamed Endemol Shine to Banijay UK. Oh, okay. Ours is still Endemol Shine, so they must be different. Yeah, they might not. They might not have actually started producing anything under that banner yet because it was only last year, I think. So... But what is really cool is if you go to Banerjee's website, there are multiple references to Hunted. So it's very much a live project. 
it is one of the most exported formats of the past few years. Because off the top of my head, obviously, we've had UK and US, both of which we covered. The Netherlands has mm-hmm. it. Spain have it. Italy have got it, which is on Amazon Prime worldwide, the celebrity version. There's a few other versions as well that I'm forgetting, I think. The Netherlands have had as many series as we have, I think. Yeah, they have to had five series. Yeah. Have you seen... the? There's a quite famous ending to one of the Dutch series as well. No. The only thing I think I've seen was a trailer. But I've just quickly Googled Banerjee. Banerjee represents some of the world's most popular television formats, including Big Brother Survivor, Deal or No Deal, Temptation Island, MasterChef, The Money Drop, and Wife Swap, and also produces scripted programming, including Wallander, Peaky Blinders, and Black Mirror. Yeah, pretty much everything. (laughs) Everything worth watching in the last 10 years, they own. It's quite impressive, really. They're also, um, I saw on their site, producing a... Celebrity Big Brother for French Canadian. Yes, they are. Uh, it's just finished. Hmm. So interesting. So that made me quite excited. The fact that it looks like a sixth season could well happen because it's mentioned two or three times on their website. So they're quite clearly proud of it. So it's good. Mm. So thank you for listening to our Hunted Recap. We'll be back this time next week for another episode. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact rtvwarriors.com. Anthony's on Twitter at Bullsboy. Michelle's on Twitter at Bear3333. And I'm MJ Harmstone. See you next week. But with that, for now, your time in the run's over. Bye. Bye.